0: the sleeper and the bust. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press support Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Might give me no pigeon like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper and the bust. The sleeper and the bust.
1: Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorser, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today we'll be discussing two recent top prospect call-ups and a potentially new life for a former AL East pitcher. And you are coming to us live, Eno, from Angel Stadium in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Is that so?
0: It's true. I'm actually coming to you from the stairs next to the press box up in Section 340 in right field. So this is very bizarre.
1: Can we look forward to any interviews from today?
0: Uh, Yeah. All the fans that walk by, you mean? No. No. Player (laughs) player interview. I talked to uh, Nick Swisher today. I uh, got A.J. Burnett yesterday to show me his vaunted knuckle curve, which was really fun. He let me take a picture of it. So, I uh, did a little bit of talking with Masterson today, uh, and we, we bonded over the fact that we're both Jamaicans, white Jamaicans.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like a Jamaican-German, though. He was actually
0: really excited about it. He was like, I knew there were white Jamaicans out
1: there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you tell him, you're doing nothing differently against lefties, you're not good against lefties?
0: Uh, we talked about that specifically, and... I don't know, I mean he he makes a he made a good you know made a good case for himself, but it's hard to square that with what, what I know of, with uh, what I know about these things.
1: right uh, obviously, we'll be looking forward to an article in the future with that interview, I assume. <laughs> in any case, let's get on to the most interesting player alive today, Jose Fernandez, a guy that we've definitely talked about a lot, you own in tout Wars. And now we hear what we presumed all along is that he will be shut down at about 170 innings. He's at 145 right now, which means another one, uh, another 25 innings left, about four starts remaining. So what do owners do now? Because especially head-to-head league owners who have the fantasy playoffs in like the last two weeks, and it's stupid because here's a guy that got you into the playoffs, and yet you're not even going to have him for the playoffs. What would you do?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely tried to trade him in as many head-to-head leagues as I could before people started talking about the innings limit. So for the most part, I don't have him. I traded for him in one head-to-head league where I was out of it, and it's a keeper league, so I, I, I just took the other side. But, um, I mean, this is the time that we were all coming. We all knew was coming, and uh, in some leagues, I just got, sa- I got saddled with him because I didn't want to trade him for too little return. Uh, and I, it was like a keeper league or whatever. So I definitely knew this day was coming. And uh, they said that they might stretch it out a little bit and skip a start here or there to have them later in the year.
1: Yeah, that would help uh, head-to-head leaguers at least. But, I mean, it's like, it seems like this year there are a lot more really, really good young pitchers than in years past. Besides Jose Fernandez, you got Matt Harvey, you got Shelby Miller. Obviously, there are probably a bunch of other Pitchers that um forgetting at the moment. But what do you think looking down the road between Fernandez, Harvey, and Shelby Miller, who do you think has the best long-term outlook? And I'm putting you on the spot here because you had no idea I was going to ask you this.
0: Yeah, uh, it is something I think about a lot. And, and, and it, it becomes more important, I think, to have more multiple pitches and multiple looks as you go on in a career. And, and you even saw Jose Fernandez did something really crazy this week where he busted out a 58-mile-an-hour curve. So I think he knows that uh, he wants to keep people, giving people uh, different looks. It's nice to see that Fernandez throws his change up 10% of the time, I think that's a good number. It's probably, he probably throws it more against lefties. And, um, you know, I, I did look up his splits just because if you're shaving hairs, it is interesting to know that his walk rate doubles against lefties. So he knows that uh, his best pitch, his best secondary pitch, is is, is a little bit less – lesser of a pitch against lefties. Um, Harvey doesn't seem to have that problem. His changeup is good, his slider is good, his curveball is good, and he's got the most pitches out of all of them. They all have great velocity, but I love the fact that Harvey pretty much has four pitches that he can go to, uh, whereas Shelby pretty much only has two. You know, but his is more of a straight curveball, whereas Fernandez is a slurve, and uh, so Shelby should stay away from splits a little bit longer. So I might still, I might rank them Harvey, Shelby, Jose, but I love Jose.
1: Wow. Jose Fernandez last. I am surprised, to be honest. I, I was debating between Harvey and Fernandez, but I I definitely would go with Harvey for the same reasons you mentioned. Every time I watch Shelby Miller pitch, I own him in multiple leagues, so I've seen like every start of his. I always wonder when that game is going to come where hitters are going to realize, all right, all he's basically throwing me is a fastball. They're going to catch up with it. And he's just going to have a bad game because, I mean, obviously he hasn't been great all season long. He's had mediocre games, but the curveball has just never impressed me. And the curveball was supposed to be a good pitch for him. And yet it doesn't ever seem so great where he, he whips one out and I'm like, wow, that was a really good curveball. I mean, I'm super impressed with his fastball. It, it is really good, but you can't get by just throwing your fastball 70% of the time, 70, 75% of the time, just not a, a good recipe for long-term success.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tony Singrani's trying to push the envelope on that, but uh looks like he might have gotten hurt today.
1: Yeah, I did quickly read on that. Uh, lower back strain, so who knows what the Reds are going to do, because obviously Cueto isn't ready to return, so if Singrani has to go on the DL, then they're going to have to figure out what to do, maybe uh, dig into their minor league roster and, and bring somebody up, but who knows? That's unfortunate, obviously, for Sangrani owners, but you didn't know what they were going to do when Cueto came back anyway, so he probably would have been shut down at some point. So
0: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, Shelby does throw his changeup, according to our numbers, 5% of the time. I wonder if he could maybe start throwing a little bit more. I mean, 5% is right on the borderline. Like, I was talking to Masterson today. And he said, you know, I was like, you don't really have a changeup at all, right? I mean, our thing says you throw it like 0.5% of the time or something. He's like, no, those are probably just sinkers I pushed by accident. So I think with the 5%, it's right on the borderline. Maybe it's – and he threw it a little bit more last year. Maybe that pitch will develop, and uh, and as he starts to see people multiple times, he starts to break out the changeup more often. Um, it's obviously that the fastball is nice, uh, and uh, – yeah, but you know, Fernandez and, and and Harvey have great fastball, so we're really shaving, shaving the uh, shaving this up, right? So I take I take Harvey.
1: Yeah, it's true. They all throw ninety five. Although Harvey gets it up in Harvey and Fernandez, you know, get it up into the upper nineties. Whereas Miller, I think, has topped out at ninety seven, maybe ninety eight. I don't have his page up now, but I know Harvey and Fernandez have peaked at ninety nine and change. So. He, They do have slightly higher velocity fastballs, but obviously all of them have great fastballs. Anyway, let's move on to the man who finally got the call-up after we've talked about him a lot before the call-up, speculating when it was going to happen, and that's Xander Bogarts. And, of course, the plan now is for him to alternate between third and shortstop, play against lefties at shortstop for Steven Drew, which is happening tonight. Is he going to get enough playing time to have any fantasy value?
0: Well, the, the dreaded versus lefties uh, righty player is is a tough one to play. Uh, you know, lefties only make up about a third of the pitching population. Uh, it's hard to to roster a guy just for to play him a third of the time in most leagues. Obviously, deep leagues love him. Uh, you know, you can use him, and he'll probably that'll probably make the most of his uh, skill set to begin with, and and break him in in a nice way. But uh, in terms of fantasy. That's a tough one. He's gonna to have to beat out Middlebrooks, so who's definitely looking better since he's come up.
1: Yeah, Middlebrooks, since returning to the Red Sox, has a BABIP fueled 4.99 wOBA. His BABIP is like 500 or something. So obviously his performance isn't sustainable. But he's walking a lot more than previously. He's striking out fewer times. I mean, of course it's a tiny sample size, but it is a real nice step forward given his plate discipline problems. Previously, I mean, his walk rate was always low, he struck out a ton, so any improvement there gives the Red Sox hope, and it, it means that Bogarts might not get very much time against right-handers, considering, obviously, the Red, Sox, the Red Sox are leading the division, so they want to put their best team forward, and that might not necessarily mean Xander Bogarts in the starting lineup.
0: You know, the only, I agree with you, the only caveat, as as always, and I think this is even true of a team like Boston, that really knows about small sample sizes and, and, and so on and so forth. I think if Bogarts comes and lights the world on fire, uh, it'll be hard for them, you know, to run out a guy with a 222 batting average and a 280 on-base percentage out in third base. So he could push his way past Middlebrooks. That is a possibility. And if you want to put that on your bench and ride that possibility, then, then that sounds like something I would do if my team was competitive in the top three and was looking for a way to maybe push out uh you know to really like have an awesome team for my h2h playoffs you know because in keeper leagues he's already owned anyway so we're talking about you know you're in a 10-team league you're running away with it you're gonna drop a bench piece that you know might be better than bogarts but doesn't have the same upside just in case bogarts takes the third base position then you have this great shortstop for your your head-to-head playoffs
1: do you think that Bogarts is actually overrated as a fantasy prospect? Because I look at his stats right now, his isolated slugging percentage has declined at every single level. He doesn't have much speed. His strikeout rate is is respectable, but it's not like it's greatly above average that you're going to fully expect him to hit for batting average. So he doesn't really seem like he's a great fantasy bet, at least in the short term. And, and yet he's the type of guy who's a top prospect, who no matter what league you're in, Somebody's going to love the top prospect and blindly just pick him up thinking, oh, I got the top prospect. He's going to be awesome for me, and I just don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, the things that, that that a projection system do for the most part with rookies and it's smart is to really project them into league average numbers and – you know, when you look at Bogarts, there it, you could—he could totally project right into league average numbers. He could project into 100, 150 ISO, the right at league average. He could have an 8, 8% walk rate. He could have a 20% strikeout rate, and he doesn't have above-average speed. So now you're talking about what, what's, it, what kind of a batting average is the guy going to put up that has average speed, average power, average uh, strikeout rate? He's probably going to put up an average batting average, which is in the 250s. So, uh, you know, obviously he has upside. Was described by his sort of 200 iso in the lower levels um his double digit walk rates if he does have some speed he has definitely has athleticism because he's you know shortstop um that could play shortstop in the major league so obviously there's upside to be you know a nice batting average hitter with good power and a few steals and play shortstop but um you know we know about his current situation and we know that he could project it into average stats across the board
1: now, when you just uh, stated all of those projections, uh, 8% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, were you looking at the steamer projections by any chance?
0: Well, I've got those open, but I know that uh, Marcel, the only thing that Marcel does for rookies is basically project them into the league average. So I know that's a that's thing that Marcel, that we don't actually have up anymore, but Marcel projections just take the league average. You know? oh. so, so I know that the steamer probably does something similar where it takes the average and then maybe tries to bump it a little bit based on the player's uh, history.
1: Yeah, because the steamer projections are, are basically exactly what you said. So you could have lied to me. You could have been like, nope, I didn't have any of the projections up at all. I am just that good. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, look at his Triple
0: AAA uh, ISO. It's a 169. That could be a 150 in the majors. His A walk rate, 10%. That could be 8%. A strikeout rate, 17%. That could easily be a 20%. Obviously, you know, he has the other upside beyond that, but, uh, you know, he definitely could turn into a 250 hitter with a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, and only playing one-third of the time.
1: All right, let's move along to St. Louis for another prospect call-up who might actually get more playing time than Bogarts, and that's Colton Wong. And he's a lefty, so that's the good side of a platoon. And it looks like Wong will be playing second base against at least all righties with David Freese on the bench and then against against lefties, David Fries will play third with uh, Matt Carpenter back at second base where he had been playing for the majority of the season. And uh, Wong has some speed and some power. So he actually looks like a better bet from a fantasy standpoint than Bogart. Do you agree?
0: Well, the the, uh, yeah, the 20 stolen bases this year and the 26 last year are interesting numbers for sure. And for fantasy, I could see that working out. I think that his power upside is, is lower. I mean, oh, just absolutely. coming out of school, he, he, you know, they didn't talk about him as a power guy. Um, and you can see, you know, a double-A hit a 119 ISO. So, so I, I think he doesn't have the same power upside. Um, but uh, could, he, could he be Altuvian? I mean, with, you know, like a 10, 10 homer, 30 stolen base type guy with a nice batting average. He could be. You know, what we really need to watch is that swing strike rate, which right now is a little bit high. I know it's a tiny sample, but, you know, I think he could go a lot of different ways. You know, when a guy doesn't have a lot of power, you know, the old school expression is, is the bat going to get knocked out of his hands? And He's I think sometimes, sometimes I think you see high stri- you see higher than expected strikeout rates from guys who in the minors didn't have much power and got up here and are just having a hard time making contact because they don't have much power.
1: Yeah, I mean he doesn't seem just by the stats, he doesn't seem to be like that. When I think of the, the bat getting knocked out of his hands, I think of Jason Tyner, who had absolutely no power whatsoever. But Juan D Gordon D. Gordon, yeah, D. Gordon's another example who it would be nice if he ever got an extended look again because he looked to have made some improvements in the minors this year, and yet the Dodgers just don't want to stick with him for what I guess probably because his defense sticks. But Back to Wong, he makes really good contact too. So he could actually contribute in batting average, meaning he he can contribute in, in multiple categories. And of course he's second base eligible. I mean, Bogarts is also middle infield eligible. So that's not a big difference there. But I think Wong, from a fantasy perspective, is a better bet for the rest of the year than Bogarts. Obviously, long term, I'm sure Bogarts is the better overall offensive prospect. But just this year, I would want Wong.
0: Yeah, and, and at the very least, the easiest way to do that is just to say, okay, one of them's you know gonna play one third plus of the time, and the other one's gonna play two thirds plus of the time. So, uh, yeah, I'll take the uh, I'll take the left-hander and and uh, go with the chunk of playing time at least.
1: Yeah, when you're debating between two players, definitely the guy who is safe in playing time is always gonna be the choice. Just so you can get more runs in RBIs and, and all the counting stats. Let's move along to Chris Davis. What a season for Chris Davis, huh? And yeah, with- the other Chris Davis? Yeah, we're not talking about the Orioles' Chris Davis. We're talking about another Chris Davis. It's a good year to be named Chris Davis. Let's just say <laughs> yeah. Even if you've got an H in there. That's right. And you spell your name with a K because you think you are cool with a K. <laughs> so Chris Davis, the Brewers version, has – Uh, It seems like he's taken the left field spot for the Brewers after uh, Ryan Braun went away, I should say, and 63 at bat, 72 plate appearances, a 439 Woba, six home runs already, a 46% home run per fly ball rate. I don't know. I think that's kind of sustainable. (laughs) Okay, but aside from that, I mean, his minor league track record does show power. He, He looks like. Somewhat of a legitimate potential fantasy contributor.
0: Well, I'm worried about a couple of things. One thing is he didn't really have the pedigree. So um, you know, sometimes you you gotta you gotta you gotta give the scouts a little bit of love. And at uh, you know 25 going on 26, he was uh, and he and you know he had two chances at AAA. You know, he wasn't necessarily old for his level, but he wasn't young either. Uh, and then another thing that bothers me is that. You know, I like to look for the biggest sample thing I can look at right now. The biggest sample is anything on a per pitch level. He's seen 300 pitches and he struck out or he swung and missed at 15% of those. That's a pretty high number. So he, I think he, he deserves that uh, 25% strikeout rate right now, which probably begets a lower batting average. He, you know, he came out of triple a with a 200, 255 batting average down there. So, um, I think he's not necessarily going to be a batting average guy for you going forward, even though he's had some nice batting averages in the minor leagues.
1: Yeah, and part of the reason that he's hitting three hundred right now, it's actually not his bad bit. It's three twenty five, which is fine. It's because he has six home runs already. If you cut his home run fly ball rate in half, which would still be 23%, then that's three less hits he would get. And and then he's probably batting .270, 80 or so. Yeah. So that, that's a big reason why. But, yeah, I mean – That is clearly a concern. I mean, he's made better contact in the minors. But other than that, I'm kind of really liking his skill set. He's walked a lot in the minors. He's posted respectable strikeout rates given his power. He's got power, and he's got speed. He's got two steals as well. So if you extrapolate this out to a full season, this is a 48-home run, 16-stolen base guy. That's, (laughs) That's Chris Davis with steals, the Orioles version.
0: Yeah, I'll take him for uh, a true talent 2010 guy, 260-2010, which uh, to me is uh, not not
1: really a mixed league player. I think it is. 20, 2010 batting 260 in the middle of a lineup. I think he's batting fifth today. I think that's you know uh, a $5 or so player. I mean, it's not a great player, but I definitely think it's above replacement level.
0: Are you thinking – definitely not in three outfielder leagues, but maybe no. like a fifth outfielder. I could Absolutely.
1: see that. We have five outfielder, 12-team leagues. Yes, he's definitely worth it in those types of Yeah, league. that's
0: true. That's true.
1: I mean they don't have any other real alternatives. I remember when Braun first uh, got suspended, we were discussing their options, and we didn't even discuss Chris Davis. We were talking about Caleb Gindle, I think Sean Halton, and a whole mishmash of mediocre players. So, yeah,
0: he took that job from Logan Schaefer, I think.
1: Uh, Schaefer, I think, is playing – wait, center or right? Let me see who is playing because I think Schaefer is also starting tonight. Uh, Schaefer is playing center with Ioki and, and right. So, yeah, both of them are yeah, – oh, that's, that's because Gomez Gomez somewhere, yeah. right? Forgot about Carlos Gomez even though I own him. Yeah, so when Gomez comes back, I mean he's obviously going to take center field back and then Schaefer is probably going to sit back on the bench. I don't think they can – drop uh, Chris Davis. I mean, for a team going nowhere, you want the upside and and see what he can do. Logan Schaefer is probably less likely to be a part of their future than Chris Davis is.
0: Let me check uh, one deadly thing. His minor league splits. Uh, Christopher Davis.
1: Against lefties and righties?
0: Yeah, because he is a a righty. And uh, they're okay. They're fine, uh, his, actually his LPS is a little bit lower, uh, it looks like it's mostly, oh, uh, no, it's not his power, yeah I think it's probably just a little BABIP, his BABIP is lower against uh, righties, but uh, that's not something that concerns me.
1: Yeah, that's good, so it's no uh, Chris DiNorfia, Cody Ross type situation it's- where he's going to be platooned and only face lefties. So.
0: I think this might be what's going on a little bit. He's got a 20, he had a 20.5% strikeout rate against righties in the minors, 18.2 against lefties. So uh, maybe that righty strikeout rate in the majors is going to be a little bit higher. Maybe that's why, even though he struck out about 18% of the time in the minors, he's looking more like a 25% guy in the majors. But you're, you're right. Even with a 25% strikeout rate, you can succeed. It's not that 30% sort of, this. uh-oh, this guy might not even stick around. So... Um, you know, in today's level of strikeouts, 25% is not that bad, and his minor league splits are not that bad.
1: He's got power and speed, so he's definitely he's definitely a pickup. And he's in a good ballpark. And I don't know when I look at the Brewers' offense, I don't think of it as such a bad offense. They still have a whole bunch of good hitters, even without Ryan Braun. And and if Aramis is is, is healthy now, then it's, a, it's still a decent offense. All right, let's move along to Baltimore. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, he was a former Baltimore starter, and now he's in Chicago. Jake Arrieta, who is coming off a really good start against the Cardinals uh, last week. Seven shutout innings, seven strikeouts, only two walks, and that was his second start in a Cubs uniform. He's only given up one run over those two starts. And he's a guy who, it seems like when you watch him pitch, I mean, he throws... He's averaging ninety-four with his fastball this year, so he seemingly has outwardly good stuff, and yet for whatever reason, they just don't translate into swinging strikes. So, I mean, is the move to the NL all that he needs for him to finally have that breakout? I mean, his peripherals are
0: so cruddy. I mean, it is he does he doesn't do anything right. I mean, he, <laughs> if you look at it, he, you know, terrible swinging strike rate. Paired with a terrible ground ball rate, paired with terrible control. I mean, it's putrid. I, I don't. It, that was a surprise to me. And right now, I'm just checking his uh, his pitch outcomes. Uh, and uh, you know, you know, the problem I think is none of his uh, none of his secondary stuff is great. Uh, you know, because you're looking for a 15% whiff rate on your on like a changeup and a slider. That's about normal. He doesn't. His changeup gets about a 10% whiff rate. Slider 11%, curve 10%, cutter 11%. None of these are big ground ball pitches. So basically, he's a, a sinker guy, you know, who who can get you know ground balls on sinker, but doesn't get them elsewhere. Doesn't get enough swinging strikes on his secondary stuff to offset the fact that his his four seamer doesn't get whiffs either. I mean, he's, he's a guy who throws. He's almost a kitchen sink guy, and none of the kitchen sink
1: stands out. You know, you wonder how he was such a top prospect to begin with, because obviously prospect uh, scouts like something about his pitch mix. Maybe it was just blinded by velocity, but, I mean, something that he did in the past made him uh, a top pitching prospect for Baltimore. And he seems like the guy, because there are always guys whose stuff is potentially better than his results. And he seems like a guy... He throws 94 with his fastball. That's a really, really good head start. So it seems like maybe it's a mechanical thing. Maybe he doesn't have enough deception. Maybe he's um, too predictable with his pitch mix. And it's just a, a matter of a pitching coach you know, changing things up. And then all of a sudden, he has that breakout that the stats don't show at all. And it's just a matter of a hard thrower. Suddenly, the light bulb goes on, and he just puts everything together. And and that's just a breakout. And, and I feel like Arietta is the type of pitcher who that can suddenly happen with.
0: I I could see it. The thing is, you know, he likes to pitch high in the zone with his fastball. So you're talking about a 94 mile an hour fastball, yes, but it's high in the zone, so that's why he doesn't you know get ground balls with it. Um, and uh, and then I think it's uh, I think it's straight. I think it's a straight fastball because. You know, it has a lot of vertical movement. I'm looking at right now, but it only has three inches of horizontal movement. I think horizontal movement is a little bit more important for ground balls. So, I think he's basically got a straight, force, uh, force fastball. And I think that none of his secondary pitches is an out pitch. So, yes, he has the velocity, but you know, I would love to see just one of his secondary pitches have a 15 or 20% whiff rate, and they don't. So, uh, you know, I don't. If I, if someone was going to tell me who's going to break out, I would say. Tell me uh, what he breaks out on a 2-2 count to strike the batter out. Like, what's his 2-2 pitch?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that, again, it it could be a surprise breakout that you're just never going to believe until the season's over, and you're like, oh, he broke out, and all of the underlying metrics actually support the breakout. So it's basically a we'll believe it when we see it kind of a case here. And, I mean, obviously I, I like him better in Chicago in the National League than in Baltimore. But I don't think he was picked up in even our Towers League, which is a 15-team league, and my labor 15-team league. So he's somebody that probably should be reserved for NL-only leaguers if you're desperate and, and looking for some upside. But you're I, right.
0: I, found, a, 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 I found a shining hope beacon in this FX. I limited his uh, numbers to this year, and I found an 18% whiff rate on his change-up. Of course, that's on 22 change-ups. And that's but, not even
1: uh, that great of a whiff rate on change-ups. No, it isn't, but it's, I'm telling you, that's the best. Oh, my gosh. I mean, so uh,
0: maybe he's uh, – you know, and the thing that's interesting about change-ups is that I do think you can tinker with those almost the best because we, I looked at Straley. I talked to Straley. I had a, a piece up, an interview where we had all 17 of his change-up grips that he tried or – I didn't show all of them, but you know you can try a different grip. You know you can come to, you can come to a new organization. They can say we like your changeup. We just want you to put your finger here, and then oh my gosh, there it is. So um, if this changeup turns into something, then I then I might uh, be interested.
1: Yeah, well maybe that whiff rate also has to do with the fact that the bis status says he's only thrown 3.7% changeup, so batters are like. Wait a second! What are you throwing here? You don't throw a changeup. Surprise! Yep. All right, let's move along to another pitcher because this shocked me. I don't even remember how I came across looking at his splits, but did you have any idea that Ubaldo Jimenez has a 3.28 ERA since the end of April? I
0: actually uh, I picked him up in town this week. And uh, I've, owned him. I've owned him in mixed leagues. And what I've been using him as, I've been using him at home uh, and for, like, two starts. I've been using him as, like, a bench, a bench uh, pitcher where you don't pitch him all the time. You don't pitch him in hitters' parks. And you, and you try to, like, judiciously use him. And I feel like uh, I've gotten some use out of him.
1: Yeah, he had a 713 ERA in April. And ever since then he's been usable in, in every league. So now the other question obviously is is Ubaldo Jimenez fixed? Is he now a playable pitcher or is he just luckier than he had been previously?
0: Well, I you know, I wanted to talk to him today, but he left his earphones in the whole time, so oh. I didn't I didn't didn't get to talk to him. But um, the, what I find interesting is that uh, I think he's 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 really throwing a splitter this year. And it's the first time that he's uh, sort of, you know, he's only thrown it like 4% career. But, uh, you know, this year it's up to uh, 18%. So he's really throwing splitter now. And I think that he's kind of the ideal guy for a splitter in terms of, uh, you know, four seam sinker slider that needs, it needs a change up and splitters are basically change up. So um, I think that, uh, you know, it looks like a decent pitch. Uh, it gets uh, 16% whiffs, which is it's, its highest whiff pitch right now. So it, it's a nice way for him to uh, recover some uh, swinging strikes from the fastball, which is down like down to 91 now. And he used to be this like 96 blazing fastball guy. I think he's turned into a little bit more of a 91 with a with a splitter kind of guy. The problem is, of course, we talked about this plenty of times. Is if you don't have great control and your splitter becomes your sort of your your secondary pitch then you you're searching for something to throw when you're behind in the count.
1: Yeah, and speaking of control, his control has remained awful all season and if you look at his whips, <laughs> his whip, his best whip was actually in April. Can you believe that? He had a 133 whip in April, which was his best monthly whip. He had a 7.13 ERA. Then he had whips of 163 in June, 156 so far in August. So, with control that remains Horrid. I still don't think I would touch him in any league. Even in AL only, I would be afraid to start him.
0: You know. You know what's actually kind of funny about him is that his control is so bad that his splitter has the best ball rate of any of his pitches.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! And that's supposed to be thrown as a ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow.
0: So that's uh, that's not good. In fact, other than that, it looks like his slider is actually the pitch he throws for strikes. Um, and it has the lowest ball rate, so, you know, maybe he has better control of his slider. I think we've seen a little bit with Tim Lincecum that uh, Tim Lincecum has better control of his slider than his fastball right now, and he's made that work uh, to some extent. So, uh, you know, but Tim Lincecum, put Tim Lincecum in, in the American League, and you've got to watch out how you use him, too.
1: Oh, boy. Tim Lincecum is the most inconsistent pitcher I have ever seen. <laughs> Again, I own him in multiple leagues, so I've watched a lot of starts. And his, it's, just, it's just ridiculous because he just gets hit around some nights and you wonder, first of all, how he ever gets batters out because he's pumping in like 90, 91 mile per hour fastballs. And then yeah. the next night, he'll look like the Cy Young guy that he has in, in previous years and you wonder how he ever got knocked around. It's just amazing how different he can look in different nights that it's impossible. If you're a betting man, I would never bet on him because you never know which linting you're going to get. I would be interested in seeing
0: how he does with different uh, umpires because the, the no hitter and other nights where I've seen him, he's gotten some generous fastball calls and has also had his curveball working, which is kind of a new thing for him. The curveball is almost past his splitter as his best pitch. So uh, Lincecum is an interesting comparison. And, you know, maybe Ubaldo looked at Lincecum and was like, hey, that splitter is working for
1: him. I'm going to try it. It's possible. I, I, with the velocity loss that Hey, both Jimenez and Lincecum lost Velocity, so they should probably partner up and figure out how to pitch successfully. Bring in CC Sabathia to the group and Dan Haren. my God. there could be a whole group of Velocity
0: –
1: I don't want to say losers, but – It's a support group. <laughs> yeah. How do you succeed
0: without our fastballs? It's funny. I, I, this is what I talked to with A.J. Burnett was, you know, he used to come in pumping 96 and now he's, he's lost Velocity – and he was talking about you know what he can do about that. And I think it's a little bit more reliance on the knuckle curve. Um, and uh, he was talking about, you know, talking to different players and talking to Liriano. He, you know, he said to Liriano, you know, embrace it. You know, embrace your, your, your lower velocity and don't try to throw a 97 anymore because it's not coming back. Um, and uh, that, I thought that was a really interesting thing for him to say. So, you know, I think I've seen with, with uh, CeCe's a little bit different because CC's actually gotten a lot of his velocity back, um, and I've been I've been sort of impressed. I think that he lost some weight and uh, over the course of the season got a lot of his velocity back. So CC's you know uh, he's gonna he's gonna join the club, but he's not he's not the club president right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I've gotten killed in the comments every time I rank CC so high in my rankings because I watch him and his velocity is back, and it's just a, a problem with location and command and that's not something that he struggled with in the past so I I think that's fixable but anyway let's move along to a question who ranks fourth among all haters in war over the last 30 days and since you know who we're talking about the correct answer is you have no idea am I right
0: Uh, I'm cheating okay I'll stop cheating Uh, I won't look at the leaderboards and I'll just say, because I saw him and I like him, Jason Kipnis.
1: No, no. You clearly weren't looking at the list of players we will be discussing today, which is a good thing because now... Oh, I looked at it once. I've just <laughs> forgotten who's on there. Who is it? Will Venable. Oh, I just talked to him too. Will Venable ranks fourth among all hitters in war over the last 30 days. And oh. in August... He has five home runs and 65 at-bats, batting .354. He batted .309 in July. And he's batting – he actually batted in the low 200s in the first three months of the season. And then his bat came alive. And uh, all of his season production has basically come in these last uh, two months.
0: So so we're going to have a a piece coming out soon, uh, another uh, combination between me and Lorilla. And it's going to be asking hitters, you know, what, what stat they'd like to lead the league in. And, um, you know, Venable gave me the best answer. And I wish I would known that he led the league in war because he was basically like, I do a little bit of this. I play some good defense. I do this. I get on base. I can run, you know, have a little bit of power. And, you know, is there a stat that combines all those? And I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> replacement.
1: War and, war.
0: Yeah. He, he, he was totally blown away by it. He's like, okay, I want to lead the league in that stat. <laughs> and uh, I wish I could have turned around and been like, you do. But, uh, you know, the, the fun thing was I saw, I was there Sunday, and he caught a, he was playing center field, and uh, he, caught, he took a ball back. He took a home run away from somebody. I forget who he took it away from. And um, then he went out and won the game uh, with a home run. But the best thing about it was not only did he play such great defense in center, which he doesn't always play, but he hit the home run off a lefty. And they they left him in there against Pedro Feliciano with the game on the line. And I actually said, you know, I know he's not great against lefties, but I think uh, he's going to walk it off here. And he did. Um, So that was a great moment for him. I talked to him about it. He's just basically like, you know, I haven't gotten a lot of reps against lefties, but this year there's been so many injuries. Carlos Quentin looks like he's done for the season, I think. Um, And uh, he said, me and Dino, D'Norfia, have been getting more shots to play every day. And, you know, the more I see a lefty, the more I'm used to it. And he's like, maybe I have a hard time against the the really tall lefties that throw it sidearm, the the bum garners, you know. But Feliciano's a short guy, and uh, that that lefty arm slot wasn't such a big deal for him. So Venable, uh, he's a guy I've been touting for way too long that I just gave up on, kind of. But I love him as a guy, and uh, as a player, he's definitely someone you can plug in almost in mixed leagues against righties for a little power and speed.
1: And guess what? There are two things going on here with Venable. And I mean he used to be a platoon guy as a lefty. He always sat against lefties. He would only play against righties. Guess what? He has a higher woba versus lefties this year than righties. He's actually killing lefties. He's got a 379 woba versus lefties, five home runs in just 66 at-bats and he's been better against them than righties. So, he deserves to continue playing every day against lefties. And he actually wasn't horrible previously against left-handers his career which obviously includes this year he has a well uh where is that number okay 289 woba is bad but last year was about 300 he probably plays good defense as well so it's not an automatic benching against lefties but this year with his performance against them then he should definitely continue to play against them and 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 that's basically what happened with Curtis Granderson, and, and what led to his breakout is he suddenly figured out how to hit lefties and well. And that's exactly what's leading to Venable's breakout. Yeah,
0: and I mean, you know, one of the arguments from Tom Tango at the book and, 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 you know, and some other statistical arguments has been that, that we actually don't know platoon splits as soon as we think we do, and that, um, that it actually takes like a thousand plate appearances to really have a predictive platoon split. Um, and it's even worse if it's a reverse platoon split. I almost never believe a reverse platoon split, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, for even for lefties uh, against lefties, it's like a thousand plate appearances. is a really long time if you think about the fact that you only get a third of your plate appearances against lefties. So, you know, maybe he wasn't as bad as we thought he was. Uh, maybe that, you know, that, that those bad years weren't as predictive. But the fact that his team platooned him makes me think that they saw things and scouting and just how he took approach, you know, stuff. I, I believe it. And then in, in, in a in a mixed league, I would actually still sit him against lefties.
1: There's another thing going on here. And if you recall, during the offseason, obviously, Petco Park, they brought the fences in, uh, especially in right field, because that was murder on left-handed power. And, and that was one of the reasons, I think, that some of us thought that Headley's power, although we figured it would regress, maybe some of that would be offset by the shorter fences. Well... Check out Will Venable. Last year, he had a 4.9% home run per fly ball ratio at home. This year, 30%. Obviously, 30% isn't going to be sustainable, but the point is is that he's clearly loving the new shorter fences and that's obviously helped him and contributed to that home run per fly ball surge this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I said uh, I said, you know, is it a Walkier thing? And he was like, "Dude, if <laughs> If I knew how to hit more homers like this all the time, I would have been hitting them the whole
1: time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. That is the perfect answer that people who talk about uh contract years, I mean that's what it comes down to. It's not like hitters just press a button and turn turbo on. <laughs> yeah. They wanna hit their best every year. Come on.
0: They can make money in arbitration. They can you know, they can they, it doesn't make any sense. But uh You know, I do think that that's part of it. For sure, he always had bad uh, homer powers at home, and that's why I looked so stupid touting him in the past. Was I said, you could play him against righties. Oh, you have to play him against righties on the road, which now you're talking about playing him, you know, a quarter of the time. So, um, you know, now you can play him two-thirds of the time, and and that that makes him more useful.
1: So, as, as long as he keeps playing every day, which I think he will, just because that outfield has been battered, then I think Venable will actually have mixed-league value. I mean, he's a power-speed guy hitting toward the top of the lineup, and he finally started to hit lefties. Maybe he could. The ballpark is obviously much better for him now, so I think he'll continue to have mixed-league value, and uh, even in 12-team mixed-leagues.
0: He has no idea why he's not walking as much as he used to. He, he's not trying to be more aggressive. He said that a couple, a few calls went the wrong way on him, and, he got a little, you know, aggressive in, in, in bad counts early in the season, but he doesn't think that he's changed his approach to the plate. just in well, case on-base percentage people were wondering where those walks were. Hey,
1: I, I have an answer. He's swinging at the most pitches he's ever swung at in his career. He's at 52% the first year he's been above 49.2%. So there's your answer right there. He's just swinging more often.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and, and that probably means swinging in some bad counts.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust for Eno Saris. I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.